Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. A recap of The Adventure of the Six Napoleons by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's a strange opening. Lestrade is around at 221B Baker Street with Holmes and Watson for dinner. Never been mentioned before, never mentioned again. But he's gone around there for dinner and a chat, which is weird because they've got a bit of a fraught relationship. So they're having a little chat and all's going well. And uh, Holmes glibly asks, you know, is there anything going on at the yard that we might want to know about? Lestrade says, no, not really. He said, oh, all right, okay, tell me about it. So he says, yeah, there is something, but it's not really criminal as such. It's more sort of, you know, maybe even medically interesting to Watson, but definitely not for Holmes. He says that there's been a man going about shattering, um, the, the, you know, plaster bust of the Emperor Napoleon. Um, one was uh, done in a man called Morse Hudson shop. Morse Hudson is a great, great name. Um, it's been done in his shop. And uh, and two others have also been smashed um, uh, for no reason whatsoever. And of course, they suspect monomania, or you know, someone's got it in for Napoleon, or there's some sort of uh, <laughs> some some sort of strange ancestry thing where someone would take against Napoleon. The same way we would have a go at oh, I don't know, I, I don't know Wellington. I don't know. <laughs> um, Holmes has a think about this and says, you know, it's not about being, you know, obsessed with Napoleon wanting to smash his face in or anything like that. Um, uh, because they all came from the same mould, which is of interest to Holmes straight away. He's already thinking of a link and why that would be a thing. Um, and, you know, it's not as if there, are, there aren't, you know, thousands of Napoleon um, busts around. I wonder how many Napoleon busts there are in London at the moment. Um so that happens. Uh, they have a little chat about that. And the next day, um, the stray comes around again and says, yeah, there's been another one. Um, but also, there's been a murder involved. Um, it's taken place on the doorstep of a man called, the fant again, the fantastically named Horace Harker. Um, uh, he found the man dead um, on his doorstep. Basically, he'd heard a noise in the night and went to see it. And um, not only has there been a murder, but the Napoleon bust he had was also taken by a burglar. And yes, it was smashed again. Um, well, that's a bit weird. Um, but there's all, he's also found a photo of a man. Um, he looks well, a bit like a monkey, he said, um, looking uh, while well, he went through the man's pocket. So they have a clue. Holmes is still clinging to the, this isn't anything to do with monomania or anything like that. And uh, Watson is, of course, completely baffled. There is a big clue here, though, because Holmes um, deduces that um, the man didn't just smash it where it was. He went and did it under a street lamp, so he wanted to, wanted to see what he was up to. That's really significant for Holmes. He was very keen to do that. Um, so that, that's another bit of a clue, because um, obviously they found little fragments of the bustle over the street. And this is where Holmes does something really strange, because obviously Harker is a journalist, and... Um, uh, and I really like Horace Harker. I think he's really good. He makes a very good point about, you know, there's a big story going on. It's right on his doorstep and he's a bit too shaken to write anything about it. Um, seems a bit weird, that, because you'd just write about it, wouldn't you? Surely. But um, Harker's a bit sort of, you know, all over the place because all his mates have suddenly, all his rivals in the journalistic world have got a scoop and he, he he's a bit too shocked by it. Um, so Holmes tells, basically, <laughs> tells straight to tell him that um, Holmes is convinced that it is a lunatic. It is someone who hates Napoleon and, and um, you know, and they're right. It is a monomania thing. It's uh, an E-Day fix, he says. Um and uh, obviously Holmes knows that's not the case, but uh, he want, but he wants to use the press again, like he's done many, many times before. Um, he wants to, the culprit to think that, you know, yes, there is nothing, you know, there's no dark, sinister thing underneath this. It's just some bloke going around sm smashing up busts and some bloke's being killed at the same time. 
There then follows some actual legwork from Holmes. He goes to, uh, finds out the owners, uh, sorry, the people who made the bus, a company called Be- um, Gelder & Co. And he goes to interview them and shows the picture of the uh, the strange monkey-looking man. Um, and um, one of them says, oh, they, they, they know him. He used to work here. He's an Italian called Beppo. In fact, he worked in the shop where the first bus was broken um, and, and left there, you know, a couple of days later. Um Holmes goes to Gelder and Co. and uh, and he discovers that there's uh, there's actually a batch of six of them. So obviously he's going through them in order, destroying them one by one. And Holmes is Holmes is onto something now. Um, uh, again, the Beppo's picture is, is recognised, and they said, "Oh yeah, he's a bad man. You know, he carried a knife and he was in prison because he stabbed someone in the street." Um, uh, but he's not been back there for a while, though. His cousin works there. Um, Holmes um, says to the manager, um, "Don't talk to the cousin. Don't talk to the cousin about Beppo." That evening, um, the strayed uh, comes back to Holmes and says that the dead man was identified as a man called Pietro Venucci, um, who is part of the mafia. And the straw believes that Venucci was sent to kill the culprit, but was you know killed himself. Um, after sending the message, uh, an express message, Holmes invites Watson and the straw to, uh, to a house in Chiswick. Um, and Holmes is expecting, you know something else is going to go on. So there's a little bit of elements of the speckled band of the Bruce Partington plant. He knows something's going to happen. Well, Black Peter, you know, you name it. There's, there's, there's plenty of these things. There's another night vigil. Um, Lestrade just thinks he's nuts and says, you know, you know, we're near this. Um, Beppo does come to the house and uh, and he comes out of the window um, only to, with a Napoleon bust in his hand, which he's about to shatter. Um, uh, he then looks at it and is, you know, he's a bit disappointed, but they pounce on him and Beppo is arrested. Um, Beppo won't talk because I imagine obviously he's got mafioso links and they don't do that sort of thing. Holmes there says, I'll tell you what, come back to uh, Baker Street tomorrow and I'll explain it all to you lads, which is, you know, not patronising of him at all. Um, they invite a man along who, um, who owns, actually owns the bust and Holmes is very, very above board and says, I'm going to give you £10 for this thing. And it was obviously just a few shilling, you know, he's made a massive profit. Um, I think it's over £1,000, actually, um, uh, the £10 from those days to now. Um, but he does, you know, he signs documents and says, yes, this is definitely mine. And once the the, the bloke's gone with his £10, he's very honest about it, um, Holmes smashes the bus to pieces. But amongst the, the uh, you know, what's left of it, um, they discovered that um, as with the blue carbuncle, um, there is a jewel placed in the middle of something where it shouldn't be. And it's the black pearl of the board, which is the most expensive, most famous disappearance of any jewellery ever. Um, uh, Holmes, you know, decides that, you know, the it's basically someone has got in touch with uh, Venucci's sister, Lucretia, um, probably bribed her or threatened her. Um, Beppo suddenly got the pearl from them and hid it in, in the plaster bus while he was working at the shop. And obviously he's been going around one by one trying to smash them all so he can find it. Um, so basically Holmes, I think, pretty much... Te- it's, it's not really sort of made stark or anything, but Holmes pretty much keeps the, keeps the jewel. Um, but they say, they say at Beppo that he served a year sentence. He's going to serve a lot more, obviously, now because he's killed this man. So the, the dead man was probably the, bro- was the brother of the woman who's, you know, they first, you know, they coerced into doing the burglary in the first place. Um... And uh, and that's what Beppo was doing. He's going around one, one, one by one and destroying them. Um, and that's pretty much the adventure of the Six Napoleons. Our guest to discuss the Six Napoleons is Neil Atkinson. You might remember Neil was on our very, very first show um, of um, Sherlock Mandela to Amberley. Um, he is the host of the Amphil Rap and he is a writer, a podcaster, a, a film writer. He wrote a film called Native, which starred uh, Rupert, who is plays Lestrade in the BBC Sherlock series. And it's great to have him back again. Our guest to discuss The Six Napoleons is Neil Atkinson. Neil has been on the show before um, and rather frightening, John, fr- frighteningly, John, um, Neil was on our first show, which I discovered about an hour ago, was four years ago. <laughs> and, this, and this is only our 31st story. Well, we, I think we are taking about four months to do a show. so it's, Exactly, uh... yeah. And it, it's funny, Neil, because the first time we did a show, um, well, the first few shows we did, I think we did three in the first six weeks. And then, um, uh, and it, it reminds me of, in some ways of when the earlier Anfield Rap shows where you would introduce us, it's the Anfield Rap, it's show number 11. <laughs> yeah, and, and after a while, you know, it's, it's like when Frank Lampard Jr. stopped being Frank Lampard, became Frank Lampard, and they dropped the junior. No one noticed when you stop numbering shows. And with, with us, because we're doing all fifty-six and the novels, um, 
I'm sure there are people thinking that they're not exactly racing through this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's going to take a while. So you, you came on to the first show, Scandal and Bohemia. Um, yeah. We've moved all the way through to the Six Napoleons. Um, I oh, The thing that strikes me about the Anfield rap um, is, and I've written about this quite recently, is the change in fan media towards the club. So I'm, uh, I'm older than both of you. So I was, was a fanzine writer. And then I came in at the very end of the Park Street days uh, for the Anfield Rap. To those who don't know, um, that this was the studio where um, 11 people would gather around three microphones in the middle of a room. And since then, it's developed into... Uh, that's huge. The Anfield Rap is huge. And um, last time we spoke on this show, we talked about, you know, you'd just gone behind, you know, a paywall and, and you know, you were doing videos and, you know, it was something you wouldn't have dreamt of doing in, in Park Street. Has, has that moved on to, to the same degree after four years? Is it still developing? Is it, is it, is it any, any huge changes? Not any huge changes, but the whole thing, everything develops all the time. You know, you want to keep making things different and, and make them more fun for yourself. You don't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, let's be clear about this. The fundamental premise is talking about um, one football club and the notion of 22 men kicking a ball around, as my mother would say. So the idea of constantly trying to find new ways to go about it, I think, is is important. Um, and then from there, it's you know, it's it's very much the key question of, of 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 keeping it interesting for the listeners and also keeping it interesting for yourselves. So you know, I think that that's that's the major uh, sort of change. The rest of it's just a matter of of running the thing uh, and ensuring that it does keep running week after week uh which you know is 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 in and of itself a bit of a challenge some weeks but then there's other weeks where it's all very very smooth i know i mean i'm, I'm obviously going to cite my own interest in this so I, I i'm a writer for the Anfield rap and there are weeks when i will talk to josh who's, who's, who's my editor uh, for it and say right there are four things i can write about this <laughs> this week um and then you've got the summer the, the summer break where i'm thinking there is literally nothing i can say to the world about Liverpool, so I suppose you've got you've got to harvest some material as well for when it's not you know when we're not playing two games a week or anything like that. Yeah, very much so. You, and also it, that's back to when you get to be creative, which in a way is often the more sort of fun bits and pieces. So yeah, I'm very very you know into all of that uh, as you, as you go through, and it's where you get to enjoy yourself. So I'm very yeah, they're the good bits, um, and when you can sort of cut loose, but also you know day to day, you know you get the good bits as well, and being able to talk about other football is also good, and then other sort of social things as well around it. You know, it's as much about the the, the city, the place, and the people as it is anything else. The commitment is very much to the people. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that really shines through. Um, it, it's also interesting in as much as where fan media sits with the the, the notion of punditry, and, you know, the mainstream. Um, I, I wrote recently that, uh, that I went to one awards ceremony, and this is what two thousand fourteen, maybe thirteen, fourteen, and um, where the Anfield rap was beaten into second place by the Guardian, and um, the difference being that the Guardian were the Guardian, and you know the Anfield rap is fan media completely run by fans financed by fans and it's pre pre paywall and what have you and it's interesting to me just how much the mainstream has now adopted the fan point of view and i'm not, I'm not talking about things like you know um you know the, the, the tv channels or anything like that but how much sort of they go into fan groups now and say we've got blah 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 and blah 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 coming on which definitely didn't happen in the fanzine days um, yeah that yeah that that, but I think that there's also um, there's also a, a taking of the tone, and I think at times that did sort of happen in in what you can call the fanzine days. You know, I think that if you look at there's bits and pieces of shows in the in the mid '80s, the mid '90s that that adopt that tone uh, and and look to sort of to to channel it a little bit, and I think that's the more interesting part, really. You know, I think that. I think you can see it on television as well. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's just limited to that. And I actually think, I don't think we've changed that much uh, in terms of a lot of those sort of attitudinal points, but I think that where the mainstream is has changed. And I think they've come a little bit closer to us rather than the fact that we've moved particularly. I mean, I'd argue we're a little bit more civil now online than we perhaps were when we started. But apart from that, I don't think there's sort of, that many major changes and, and the essence of it remains remains what it is. And I, I think there's an element of that where when you just, when you hang around for long enough, you become respected. But I also think there's an element of of the 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 idea that there's certain conversations that are had outside the mainstream 
and when you demonstrate that you can have them effectively for a while eventually the mainstream sort of ends up where you are uh, to a degree and i think that that's something that you know I've, I've observed across the last six seven years in particular i think there's i think something changes around 2016 uh, i think it's around that sort of time when i feel as though everything became uh, everyone became a lot closer to a lot of what we we were about rather than the opposite yeah i think yeah, i'd agree with that yeah it's it's also been really nice to see. Sorry, it's not everyone. We are going to be talking about Sherlock at some point. I'm desperate um, too. It's, it's, it's just that neither and I don't get to talk very often. Uh, <laughs> we can talk more, uh, Carl, if you want. Yeah, we should do. Um, um, is is that it's? Well, it's, this is the best way of saying it. Younger writers are coming in for the after Younger presenters. You've got more young staff coming on these days. Um, I, I, I'm going to frame this by saying that there's a there's a show at the moment about your favourite season, and for a lot of them, it was only five six years ago. Which is, yep. Which is which, which is lovely. It re- it really is a jo- uh, but it's a bit depressing when I get the message through from John, uh, John Gibbons. This is saying you know what season from the eighties do you want when everyone's going two thousand eighteen nineteen you know things like that. <laughs> uh, so you, it, you, can, you can also have then if you want, Carl. You know, feel free to pick that one because it's been a lot of fun recently. But I like you know I love having um, the younger people around. I still sort of perhaps inadequately at times view myself as. As, as as quite young you know i think it's important not to not to sort of write yourself off or anything like that so i you know i think it's great and i think it's great working with the younger people and it's a really you know nice place to be to be able to give people opportunities i wish we could do it more yeah. um you know I, I genuinely it's it's the thing i most like to be able to um find a way to to really do something interesting with and we do do it in you know outside the the obvious bits and pieces that we do as well we work with um a couple of colleges we're always up for uh for giving talks at things and uh, and even at times people coming and seeing the officers and all of that. And we, we try to have, you know, and I don't want to sort of oversell it too much because I don't want people listening to think that'll definitely get sorted out because we do have a backlog because we can't do that many. But we do sort of try to offer work experience where we can and all of that as well. So all of that, you know, I like, I really like that aspect of it. I think it's a really positive one. And Josh, who you mentioned before, who's our editor and our everything really in a number of ways, you know, Josh, came through doing a work experience position yep. with us and now he's been with us since 2016 which i'm sure terrifies him if you want to think about being yep. old um you know but <laughs> he's he's been he is he has been and remains brilliant uh, around loads and loads of what we do and and he is a pleasure to, to to work with as well so you know i think i i and the same with contributors voices i know a lot of people like a lot of the older crowd and i understand that but I like it when I feel like I get a new one who I'm excited by and I want to put on everything for a, you know, for a few weeks uh, or even months, you know, and I think that that helps and offers and, and, and the new one can be any age to be crystal clear. Um, but obviously if, if you get a younger person and you feel as though you're, you're helping and supporting them um, yeah. in their career as well, that's a massive positive. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. The world of football podcast, because every now and then you'll do a show with someone you don't know and think, Oh, they're good. Maybe I can introduce it to somebody else, and I've done that a couple of times. Um, <laughs> yes. It's a really nice feeling because I think I, I, yep. I wish someone was around for me you know, when I was doing this. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that, that also that that those lines, and I think you know, there's loads of ways in which I think those lines are really interesting. I think you can draw a lot of why this stuff is better now, and there's, there's, there, there is a greater closeness between what would be called either legacy media or mainstream media and where yep. this space is. I think you actually get a lot of that in the aftermath of the awful events in Paris. Yeah. Where you know, I think that there's an understanding that that's there in general. I think that the people and that you know, there's there's many influential factors on that. Not least the man who will not be praised, Tony Evans. Uh, who, where <laughs> I think there's where you know, there's a lot of a lot of journalists there who 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 had learned uh, th- from Tony and were also sufficiently open-minded themselves to think differently about the way in which something would have been thought sort of 20 years or maybe even even just 10 years earlier. Yeah. And I think that that's that that sort of exchange i think is only good and i do wish it would happen more in other areas frankly i think that for instance if there was a a neater smoother line in our uh, political writing then i think you'd have more diversity of voice and experience um you know i think i think that that's the case there i think at times i worry that for obvious financial constraints you know we've ended up in a situation where even something like art critical cultural um music writing at times feels as though everyone's just a little bit too siloed uh, and i think that 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 sort of the removal of those silos and the feeling that there is sort of degrees of closeness i think is is is, is a good thing in general and i think it has you know as much as at times you can 
do a point and laugh and you know i'll often do jokes about for instance martin samuel uh, when i'm on a wide variety of things but the idea that for instance i do a show every four to six weeks with the fellow who writes about soccer for and i'm glad i'm happy to call it soccer by the way as he is for the new york times is you know is something that's really it, it is something that it's not quite unique but it's not that far off there aren't that many equivalents no no yeah i can see that it's um um Tony's going to be furious that we mentioned him on a podcast. He's going to have to be furious at this. He's um, probably not round tonight, to be honest with you, Carl. He's, yeah, he's standing he's outside my house tonight. Yeah, his antennae is picked up somewhere. <laughs> Never ever praise Tony Evans. He won't have that at all. Um, it, it's funny you mention that you know there's a slight sort of melting between sort of one world and the other, and this is completely irrelevant to, to, to what we're going to talk about. But I've been asked to review a book, um, a, a, you know, a fiction book, not football book or anything like that, or anything I'm, I'm sort of used to. And it's really hard to write because I don't know whether to write it as the story's about this and I kind it quite good. I was a bit worried about this. Or you base it back down to experience again, which I think, you know, what you're talking about, sorts of people getting more experience and listening, being a bit more open about it. But you always find something where you think, actually, it's about music. So I can talk about that. That's OK. So that's yeah, it. yeah. But it's also jumping off points and finding lines between things. And I think that's, that's, the thing, I mean, yeah. that's always the most uninteresting thing about, criti- about criticism, about critical writing is I think finding where things join up. I mean, it helps. I often end up interviewing people about their books and I often agree to do said interviews before I've read the books. Yeah. And that offers a certain amount of nervousness when you begin the book because you're thinking I best like it. That's, <laughs> really, that's the I best I like heard, it. Yeah. <laughs> so it helps we, you we like the, book. the exact same thing um, on when we did the other Rippercast show off the shelf when we were reviewing true crime books and then interviewing the authors and um it was a bit <laughs> When uh, when Ali Ryder didn't like a book and then went on to interview the uh, the author there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've got to be honest. I mean, that that that's the hardest thing. Yeah, um, I only got this job by the way because I write for a website called um, uh, Ten Million Hardbacks. Now I'm writing a series about books that I'm uh, authors that I've really enjoyed. Um, and um, th- this came. It's, it's a girl who lives in Japan. She's in Liverpool, and um, she said, "Will you do you want to re- re- review this? It's got the words the Ramones in it." So that's the only reason I got it. The Ramones are mentioned once in the book, well, so um, that's that's how I've become a book um, <laughs> book reviewer. Well, maybe 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 when you do the review uh, the review, you should mention Helen Love, um, who mentioned the Ramones a lot more than once. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's more mentions in my review of the Ramones than the Ramones in the book, which, which <laughs> I, I think is fairly typical. Um, let's move on to the story then. Um, yeah. You per, you actually select came to me in advance and said I'd like to do the Six Napoleons. Um, so this is a stupid question. Did you enjoy the Six Napoleons? I did, yes, a great deal. Uh, and it's not that stupid a question. It was the idea, I think, when we spoke last, you said afterwards, really enjoyed doing that show. And I said, I enjoyed doing that show as well. And we said, you know, what would you come back or what would you like to come back on and do? And I actually think this is in the midst of a, of a pretty hot run uh, for, for, for Conan Doyle, certainly in terms of it releases. Really is. Um, you know, I think he's, I think he's, he's quite on fire in this period. I think there's a lot to be said for Milverton, which is the previous one. I love Solitary Cyclist. I really like the Dancing Men. Uh, but here, and, and uh, very, very soon, there's also Abbey Grange is on its way, and they're, they're all absolute bangers. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for the Six Napoleons. I, I feel as though, I feel as though it's one which, in lots of ways. I, I, I'm i critical of it. I don't think it's perfect, but I think at its heart is something really beautifully uh, Holmes slash Conan Doyle. And I also feel as though it could, it's similar to, you know, as I say, I, I, there's a couple of changes I would like it to make uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, I feel as though it could almost be a novel uh, as well. Mm. Like, I, I think that, you, you know, when you think about some of the, if I say, you know, some of them really do just need to sit where they sit, you know, there's some of the, the stories that are shorter stories. You know, I, I don't think anyone is desperate for a longer form version of, of Greek Interpreter, for instance. I don't think we're all sat up at night thinking that you could get more out of that. <laughs> the adventure of the cardboard box. I don't know if they're thinking you can get all that more out of. And some of them are just small and perfectly formed. You know, I think Beryl Coronet's one that's small and perfectly formed. But this one, I genuinely feel as though it's got a hinterland to it that he doesn't really explore on the one hand. And then because it's a shorter one, my other sort of criticism is I don't think it necessarily needs the murder either. And I think that's something which, you know, I I wonder about that because Red Headed League, which in loads of ways I think is almost a beat-by-beat, picture-perfect, strand magazine Sherlock Holmes story, 
it doesn't have the murder. Um, you know, it doesn't need to do that. There's, there's there's violence is there on the edge of it, but it doesn't need. It's got its sense of of genuine mystery, and that I think is well. Firstly, it's one of the early ones. I'm not quite sure what year, uh, but I think at least sort of five to ten years have passed, and it's interesting to me that maybe just maybe he feels or the genre of the periodical uh, sort of short short story magazine piece he feels as though he needs the grizzly or the gruesome and i just sort of don't think he does but i you know I, I, it's one of those ones that I, and part of the reason i want to pick this i'd love to ask him you know like i think a lot of them as i say when they are sort of perfectly formed you can just think well he was you know he was in form then there's the ones that are less good this one as i say i think it's absolutely excellent but there's there's the, like there's bits of it that just sort of i'd love to know did he ever consider that it could be a book, like a full novel. Did he kick it around? You know, it's not that far away from um, from Baskerville's, I don't think. So did he think this one could be stretched out? Did he explore that? Did he not? And as I say, when did he decide he needed to put the grizzly, the grizzly murder in? Exactly, yeah, there's, there's enough story in there to sort of not flesh it out as such, because I thought one of the reasons I love this story is the pace of it. Yeah, it yeah. Let up. It never lets up at all. He's, you know, they, they're having a nice friendly chat and then they don't stop working. Yeah, it, it, it goes all the way through. Um, I know this story is 1904. John, I'm assuming that um, Redheader League is 92, 1892, and this is 1904. John's going to be um, Did you mean published date um, for yeah. Redheaded League? Yeah, let's have a look. Um, one second. I think it's 1892. This is definitely 1904. Um, so in those two, two, yeah, so in those 12 years, he's basically just thought, and, and, and it is strange because sometimes you, he, yeah, 91, you were, you were 91. close. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, um, not at all. It's strange that um, the thing that I love about the cardboard box is 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 that it's so gothic, and I've thought the same thing. Is, is it so gothic because obviously because famously he didn't want it printed in some places? Um, is it so gothic because he's trying to shock the audience because he's done a few what I would call tea party mysteries? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as we said in, in in our first ever show, a lot of them are there aren't even any crimes in them. It is yeah. literally the puzzle he's interested in. And as, as my mate Paul Edwards said, when, once he's been out, we must also remember that they are, they are adventures. They're all the adventures of, with, with very few you know exceptions. And I think it's an, an, an interesting thing when he's got that much story and he prefers to cram it rather than just to build up the tension. And, and he, you're right, he's, he's, done, he's gone through a little phase of... of I, I think this is his best run. I think I've said that on every show from about from about Greek interpreter onwards. Whereas it's just hit after hit after hit, and it's just just phenomenal. I'd, I'd like, I think it probably knows dives a little bit for me, but not much um, for the Golden Pan's Nay, which is is great. It's a great story, but it's not it's not the Dance of Men. It's not Social Cycles. You know, it's 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 yeah, not that yeah. sort of thing. Um, it also reminds me in some ways, and I'm, I'm I apologise that um, I'm going to have to mention classic Doctor Who here again. So in, there was a Doctor Who season in the 70s where they, he had to find a crystal over six different stories over an entire season. Um, key to so time. The, the key to time. So it's basically, and what would happen is he'd either find it in the first five minutes but he'd be kidnapped and then he'd have to, then there's the adventure or he got it at the last minute. But there's also a William Hartless story where it's basically the key to time in one story uh, called The Keys of Marinus where he's got to, they've got to go and pick up certain things from certain places in the same uh, episode so it's it, so that this technique's been borrowed a fair bit but i i think it's all about the pace i think that makes such a difference to this yeah i think no i think the pace the point of the pace i think is is excellent also lestrade is very prominent and he's disappearing off and he's doing his own thing and he's he's pulling homes in and then they're coming back together i think that 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 works really really nicely uh in there as well there's you know even within there the, the way in which home speaks he repeatedly says we've still got a lot to work out here you know yeah i've not sorted this yet i'm you know we're getting somewhere but i've not sorted this yet and there's more to do and also there is a bit of a ticking clock and what time is that going to happen and this is where i think this is and this is where i think he'll go next and those sorts of those sorts of guesses he's, he's constantly almost putting deadlines on things i'll see you at six o'clock yeah. <laughs> you know come armed uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And I think he's almost, he's going at a clip, but I think it's also because the idea is that the, the crime itself is going to go at a clip. There's 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 a certain amount of, 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 of busts of Napoleon that can be smashed uh, across sort of two or three nights. And Holmes is conscious of that in amongst this. And I think that within that, you know, you, you 
I, there's there's not what we don't have is lots and lots of Watson being amazed, which I think also helps. Um, you know, I think that at this point, and I think it's in part because of how far into the series we are, but also just in general, I think because it's going quickly, there's some of Watson going and had, I've got no idea how he's... I think, I think there's one paragraph he just says, I'm totally baffled by the whole thing. Or yes, he does. Yes, he explains, <laughs> I am totally baffled by the whole thing. But I, almost, I also think, I think it's one of the best ones, actually, of him bringing you with Holmes. Yeah. I think that's another reason why you feel the pace of it a little bit, is because you're actually, you're not that far away from making the deductions at the same time. You know, yeah. the the it's not I think it's a really good adventure and it's a really good sort of grand story, but it is worth sort of saying that they're all desperate to sort of go down the monomania route, but Sherlock makes the point, no, it's only the busts, it's not the pictures, you know, and, and yeah. you're reading it going, It is only the busts, it's not the pictures, it's something about the busts. And I think that's a really good thing. I you know, I, I quite like I th- I obviously like the we all like the exceptionally clever puzzle ones. Um, and this definitely has a strong element of that as well. But I think it's—I mean, I think for all mystery writers, really, all puzzle writers, mystery writers, one of your key balancing acts is to give the audience enough, give the reader enough to come with and be able to practically keep up, but keep it cunning enough that they can't get to the end before the before the, yeah. the protagonist does and i think he does a great job of that in this one and i wonder if that's part of the reason why he's managed he's wanted it to go at the pace because you actually you know when you read it and i've read it twice across the last week you are actually almost left a little bit breathless by, yeah. by how quickly it comes so you're you're with them with the deductions you're never the watson you know you you, you you're, you're in a dark room with a blindfold on aspect yeah. which does happen in some of them you're never in watson's position um, and also, and you're also never in the position of thinking that Watson is also an idiot. You don't quite hit that one either. No. You, you, you're with him close enough to really enjoy you coming to the same conclusions as he does just sort of seconds behind in inverted commas. And I think that, that all of that works really, really well within it. And I think it's one of the reasons why, I, as I say, I think, it's, I think it's a really, really strong one. There's a lovely feeling, I think. I, and I've, got, I've had this from the last few stories of thinking... Me and me and Sherlock have got this sorted. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, although I need him to do the next bit for me, but um, yeah, we've we've got this. I, I don't know what the strange doing talking about maniacs and Napoleon. Come on, um, yeah. who's going to hate Napoleon that much? It, it's it's a lovely feeling that of sort of yeah. I, I, we're on this, but I'm not yet. I'm just a tiny bit behind, but I'm ahead of the others. Uh, incidentally, it's Lestrade's last story. I didn't know that. I didn't know no. that. I, 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 I thought I couldn't really think of any other ones with much Lestrade. But he's I think there's thing... a few more after this. But he's never. Oh, you know, ah. like he's, he's mentioned in you know things like you know, uh, he, he says in a later story, um, he's one of the best best Scotland Yarders. You know, along there with you know, bring what's the crab trick? I can't remember his name now. It was Hopkins and and Lestrade. He gets mentioned in that sort of collective group. Now, uh, sorry. I'm sad now. I like. Yeah, story. I know. I, I I felt that at the time. Why, why have you dropped him from the series? He's, he's definitely the best police. Brad Street is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, is the other one. He's um, um, and what I really like about I, I love introductions. I absolutely love introductions because I find they're the hardest thing to write. And what I love about it is there's no mention whatsoever in any story about their big mates and they often have dinner together. And because yeah. he basically just calls him an idiot. <laughs> So we did um oh, which show oh it's the one I can never remember the title, The Noble Bachelor, when uh uh I, I, we did the show with Trev Downey and um and Trev said he absolutely loved the bit where we um he, uh, Holmes is laughing at him because he made yet another mistake. It's oh it's about the Flora Miller thing and the you know the piece of paper and are you gonna drag the serpentine base when he's he's taking the piss out of him then and he says uh, he says something like Lestrade, you really are an excellent fellow and then just laughs really loudly <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly mocking so i really like the fact that you know i, I love the um anything on hand not, uh just now no not really okay tell me about it then what is it um, yeah that's lovely that's a lovely intro when you think when you think what happens next which is a whirlwind that's just that's just masterful writing for me that's so good yeah, nothing very particular is the language that he uses. <laughs> nothing very particular. And then says, well, then tell me about it. And then Lestrade laughs. And yeah. then he says, it's such an absurd business, uh, although it is trivial. Uh, and you have a taste for things that are out of the common. Yeah. But he's he's decided, Lestrade's come to the conclusion that it is back to this idea of the medical condition. I think also, I think what's interesting in this one, I think there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of Lestrade, and that's why I think it is interesting, the idea of friendship, where Lestrade's almost trying to be a little bit like Sherlock. And what Sherlock ends up doing is loads of investigative legwork. Yeah, tons of it. He's, he's not doing that, I'm sitting in a room, it's a three-pipe problem, yeah. uh, bits and pieces, I'll think this one through. He literally has to go and find out a series of bits of information from which he takes different things to what we're meant to sort of think the ordinary mortals would do. But again, we're, we're sort of close enough with them to come on that journey. It's Lestrade who's decided to be quite, you know, quite grand. Uh, yeah. It is the monomania. Then from there, it becomes the mafia uh, as well. He jumps on that particular thing. And it's not a ridiculous deduction. It's not a ridiculous conclusion. And Sherlock just sort of quietly backs himself rather than laughingly mocks at him. But also, yeah. I think, has a moment of... Lestrade's actually going to go and be useful. We will link these things up quite possibly because he yeah. doesn't know that that's not the case as it moves forward. Um, because he, whilst Sherlock has the shape of of what it is behind, he's literally about to go and do the legwork to find it out. Um, like he yeah. doesn't have a name and he doesn't have this type of, you know, uh, he smokes this type of cigarette from the ash. He doesn't yeah, have the monographs. Yeah. He has none of that. He has to go and be an investigator. And I think that's one of the things that is sort of quite unique about it. And that's where I think it is interesting that, you know, I wonder, now that you've said to me, it's the idea of the last Lestrade. I wonder the extent to which that's actually in Conan Doyle's head when he's writing it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Lestrade in it. So as he decided, there's almost going to be this, this is the end of the Lestrade thing. And this idea of they are friends and there is a warmth there. That's there at the start, popping in for dinner. The, the very emotive sort of conclusion where you know the idea that he softened Sherlock by the warm words of Lestrade, who goes out of his way to say they like you at Scotland Yard. Oh, it's beautiful that it's so nice, it's so beautiful. warm. Um, and also, I think all the way through, you know, Lestrade, for instance, when he he has Lestrade be present when he purchases the final bust, and he overpays for it as far as the chap's concerned. Yeah. He, he, you know, he, he gives him a £10 note. He makes him sign the paper in front of Lestrade. From there, that man goes away happy because he paid 15 shillings. He's now got £10. That's a really good evening's work from his point of view. And he'll never know. He'll never know what it was that he, in inverted commas, lost because he never knew he had it. And Sherlock does not trick him. And again, there's not some sort of moment where we make that man is not left by Conan Doyle slash Sherlock to be a dope he is not a dope he is a nice man yeah and 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 he you know he he is an honest man though not a very rich one you know i only gave 15 shillings to the bus and i think you ought to know that before i take 10 pounds from you and he says i am sure the scruple does you honor mr sanderford but i have named that price so i intend to stick to it and then that's from there in front of um in front of lestrade they applaud when he breaks the bust and there's the pearl and the whole thing has, it's, you know, it almost gets turns into dinner theatre for the sake of Lestrade. So this idea that it's the last one that you've only just sort of introduced there, I do sort of wonder if this is almost Conan Doyle's fond goodbye to, to this character and making clear that this character firstly looks upon Holmes with what's pretty close to love, but also that his words touch Holmes. So that, therefore, you know, you you can't have that sort of emotional connection if you don't have respect for someone. Um, you know, you can't you can't be touched or moved if you don't really care about their opinion and you've decided they're just a common and garden dope, which often is is sort of the way in which Sherlock's attitude could be sort of construed towards Lestrade. But he is genuinely moved, um, nearly more moved by the, the softer uh, human emotions than I have ever seen him, and then he's back to being the cold, practical thinker. Yeah, like you caught him off guard. Yeah, the, the only yeah, thing yeah. that gets close to that is the um, the three Garrett Debs where Watson shot, and and Holmes is genuinely upset. Yeah, because um, yeah. uh, as, as John said on many many a show, this is all about friendship. This thing, it, it really is just about two two strange men who are a bit lost suddenly becoming mates again. Um, I've just asked John about how much ten pounds would have been in nineteen o four. Um, it's fifteen hundred quid. He's just walked out of. Yeah. Um, Baker Street with fifteen hundred quid, and and I love the fact that they make a big deal about the whole sort of you know bill of sale and the contract and things like that. As it ends with, it basically just ends with the words, "This is honest." Everything yeah. here is above board, and there's a whole debate about you know did did it does Sherlock you know keep the jewel or or how much is Sherlock actually worth? Because famously he, he overpays for his rent because he can because he's a nice man, um, despite not being a nice man. At times, I, I think that's a, it's a it's a lovely ending to it, just because 
Um, it does top and tail. Um, and some stories that top and tail aren't always the best ones, as far as I can say. But um, th this one is, ju is ju just lovely. I think it's done so well. It's also got another... I remember when we spoke about Scanlon and Bohemia, um, where we referenced that the, there's the, the unpublished stories that just get the odd tantalising glimpse of. And uh, uh, I think Scanlon and Bohemia's got the Atkinson brothers, which you were particularly happy with. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's very nice. And this one's got the uh, my favourite by an absolute mile, apart from the Matchbox one. Uh, this one is um, he, he's sold by Holmes noticing how far the parsley have, have melted into the butter. I have gone through hours of just sat there thinking, how could that be? Um, yes. And is this Rigoletti and his abominable wife? Or is that another one? That must be another one. Because um, I've, I've read quite a few recently. Um, so I, I love that it's got that in it as well. And again, it goes back to the this is Conan Doyle at his absolute best. Yeah, bring it together so many elements. I, I thought you were going to cite the one that comes at the very end when he says to Watson, put the pearl in the safe, Watson, and get out the papers of the Conk Singleton Forgery. The Conk, forgery, yes, I forgot about forgery that. Case. What on earth is the Conk Singleton Forgery case and how can we find out? And I think <laughs> I think it's, you know, I love the, the throwaway mentions as well as to other things and every now and again you feel like he is writing one of the ones that has been sort of semi-referred to in the past. They're sort of dropped in. And, but what on earth are the papers of the Conk Singleton forgery case? <laughs> it's obviously not solved. You need to go get the papers. You no, it's got work to do. Yeah, yeah. We've, you know, the, the, these. Sorry, John. Did Bert tackle the, the parsley and the batter and the, and the forgery no, case? No, um, he did the... Um, so, so, friends of the show would know this, Genesis first mentioned... Um, in the the Radio Four adaptations produced mostly produced by by Bert and written by Bert Cools, um, he did the further adventure. So he did things like you know the madness of Caleb Warburton, which is mentioned in the Engineer's Thumb. Um, of any murders. Like of any murder. Um, and uh, is it the two Coptic patriarchs? I know he hasn't, he hasn't done that one, but I keep meaning to ask about it. Oh, the famous one is the uh, the lighthouse and the train cormorant, which, <laughs> which, which which Bert not only did, but he did he did a double show on it. Uh, big elaborate travel and going down to Cornwall, which I really like. Hugh Bonadol's in the um, is it is in the TV series. Uh, sorry, he's in the radio series. And that. Um, speaking of Bert, um, I did Bert did cover this for Radio Four, and I, I emailed him, um, and I mentioned the fact that it's. I didn't say this, but it actually sort of gives it away a little bit because the first two minutes of, is, is two Italians talking ang angrily to each other, which is that the murdered man, as it turns out, and the father of the of, of well their yeah. father, and it's all in Italian. And he keeps saying Mia Sorella, Mia Sorella. I mean, I was doing Italian at the time. I was trying to learn Italian. That didn't go too far. Um, and I knew that Mia Sorella means my sister. Um, so I thought, oh, that's who he is. Oh, all right, I've solved it. <laughs> Halfway through, because I've forgotten. You know, I don't think I'd read them all, but when they first came out, um, to it. So as Bert said, I didn't want to do that much Italian at the beginning of it, but um, I thought there'd be complaints, and there wasn't a single complaint. And I really should have done about five minutes. Should have got, should have done a bit more. I should have been a bit braver. Well, um, I mean, but that, that's interesting because I think if I remember right, the, the Jeremy Brett sort of structure is, stru structures it quite similarly. Very similar, yeah. Um, where it, it gives you know those so that sort of pre-credits slash pre-homes segments, it gives it a lot of a lot of room to breathe. And I, I'm not quite sure where I'd where I'd sit on that. You know, certainly where I to address it, but also where it to be, where it to be dropped in. I am more. Like again, I I feel as though there's more hinterland in 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 the story as it un, unveils itself to Holmes. Uh, you know, I think maybe I'm wrong, but that, that that that's that's the direction where I think you can you know you you, you can do bits and pieces of that. Um, but yeah, I'd be I I am intrigued. One of the things I like about the also you know the many different sorts of modernized or. Where I have a fondness for the the sort of the 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 twenty first century adaptations of Sherlock is when they pull the same gag, in terms of, you know, because I think it shows a love for the work, you know, in yeah. terms of the, the 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 case that turns up for 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 one mention or for fifteen seconds, I think it shows that you know that for me is a, it's a massive part that Watson is picking these. Yeah, there's loads of them, but he's picking them. He's picking the good ones. You're only getting the class. You're not getting the rubbish. We could give you any, you know, we could, there's yeah. so many, so busy, solve so many cases. There's so many adventures. Honestly, we're just giving you the creme de la creme. And I, that's what I, I love those little bits. Sorry, John. Uh, case of identity. Does that fit with our theory? But 
John's got a problem with the case of identity because it was an early show. We didn't have a guest, so John did it, and it's not the most riveting of stories. <laughs> it's, it's not about up. it's about the crime of a typewriter. And, no, it's, uh, it's, it's it's yeah, but I think it it sits somewhere between Redheaded League and, and Five Orange Pips, so everyone yeah. gets to have a rest. Uh, everyone gets <laughs> everyone gets to just churn one out. It's it's like the Porter scene from Macbeth. You just need a rest sometime. It's been a bit heavy. Have some nonsense for a minute, and then we'll talk to you again. Yeah. No, what, I really like that. Uh... Sorry, John, keep going. That's my thing. Sorry, this is just my, my laptop, probably. Sorry, go on. Oh, uh, I think, what do you think of the Eggs Benedict Cabbage Patch uh, adaptation of it? Oh, God. <laughs> I I like the thing about the kid the, the kid in the car. I thought that was quite clever. Is that the right one? It is the right one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's, it's the six factors rather than the six uh, factors, the yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've got I've got some problems with the BBC ones, <laughs> um, which of course, as a, as a geek myself, uh, no one's going to do it perfectly. But I thought it was okay. I thought it went went a bit off, that, and I can't remember how that ended to be honest. But. Um, Neil, Neil we discussed the, this last time we did the show, which was, uh, again, too much Moriarty. There's just too much Moriarty. The genius of yeah. Moriarty is you hardly ever use him. Yeah. Twice. Yeah, in the BBC ones, definitely. I think the, the use of Moriarty in the American ones is much stronger. Um, much yeah. Um, I think that, I, I mean, I think in general, I think Elementary is actually an underrated television show in general. Um, not just the idea of it in, in, a, in a home sense. I think it's underrated. Uh, in, in 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 sort of a wider sense, in that it manages to combine a number of elements that 21st century television likes to have, but never in a way that sort of really sticks in your craw. Um, and I and I, I think it just manages to to unfurl an excellent story every week and does the other thing, which I think is which matters massively, but it does it in a much more interesting way than the BBC one. To you know, to John's point before about this thing is is about two people who've lost their way a little bit and who find each other. I think that the the American one really nails that, um, and 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 part of its magic is the is the, is the gender aspect. Um, you yeah. know, I think it's 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 a rare, genuinely brilliant, platonic friendship uh, between between men and women on American television um, that never ever ever even considers straying into anything else, um, and I think it does that. You know, it does that so so well. Uh, which you know is sort of, as I say, is, and I agree with John, is at the core of what all of these are, um, and you know I think that that's that's to its credit. I think that there's there is a longish episode um, of this, uh, this one, the Six Napoleons in in elementary. I think if I remember rightly, it's one of the ones that they choose to do, and they do quite a good job of. Um, it's you know it doesn't it never quite gets out of hand. Um, and you know it doesn't it doesn't have to become ridiculously uh, ridiculously daft. I think it's one of the ones he does when he's theoretically back in London, uh, but it works it works quite nicely. And I think the update is oh, okay. something to do with um, I think it's, the update is something to do with uh, a royal wedding or something like that or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, you know I, I think that there's so much there's so much good in this one, uh, so much good in this one that I think you know it's. It, this is why, as I say, I think it lends itself to adaptation. I think it lends itself to plagiarism. I think it lends itself to the idea of inspiring other uh, later stories because it, there's a simplicity to it. But what you do with the sort of the backstory, you you know, you can take it in many, many, many different directions. And I actually sort of, you know, if you were to think about a really interesting way to adapt it, it might well be to tell the story from the perspective of, whoever the criminal is invited through that way and then introduce into it this idea of a race against time with whoever the home's equivalent would be i think that'd be a ton of fun as a way yeah. to explore it um because it is that idea of you know i mean the, 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 my my favorite thing about the story in a number of ways is well what if he just gets it on the first one like he's had hard lines <laughs> honestly beppo's had hard lines when you think yeah. about it for a second like he's been genuinely unlucky he's got a one in six chance day one by the time I think he commits the murder, I think that's three. That's three, yeah. So now he's 50-50 and he's, and he's missed out. Can um, you believe my luck? 
Honestly, it's always the last place you look, isn't it? That's the thing with that's you think that's the thing with with black pearls of the Borgias. They're always in the last place you look. So yeah, <laughs> by the time we get to the one that he, you know, where by the time Sherlock gets his hands on it, it's actually a damn one in six chance gone the other way that yeah. it would last that long. You know, we're not we're not. It's less than twenty percent that uh, you know the odds the odds are against Sherlock. But obviously, well, at the point at which he buys it, he knows he's got it. I suppose I suppose because two of them are in Kennington, they thought, well, they're quite close together, so I can I can do two in one there. Yeah, crack uh, on. Get, get that done. But if you just thought, do you know what? I love Chiswick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get down to the. It's a great roundabout, and you get to the M4. You know, it's really nice. Uh, why don't I just go there? For, no story. No story. Um, one thing I think one thing I am slightly disappointed about is I really want more Horace Harker. I th- I thought he was great. I, yeah. I I I love the whole sort of, I can't believe my luck, you know, I've been writing about trying to get exclusive for all my years in the business and suddenly there's a thing in front of it and I can't think of a single thing to write. Mate, tell me about it. That that but also <laughs> it's happened to him before. Yeah. Like he quite casually goes, Yeah, this, that's not the first time this sort of nonsense has happened to me. No, that's not the pearl. It must be something else. <laughs> yeah, Jen, you 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 like I don't think you're cut out for this, Horace. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, if these things are happening to you, I think you might need to rethink um, what, what your outlook is. Um, I mean, if anyone's yeah. going to write about it, mate, I mean, I think you're pretty much in the box seat, though. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Very, it's, you've got you, it. you were literally there. Yeah, it's a full exclusive, Horace. And yet, <laughs> and yet he's too shook up uh, by the turn of events. Um, far too shook up. Um, and it and let's be clear here that what shakes him up is uh, is finding the dead man uh, after investigating the noise. Uh, but nothing else happens to him, you know. And I don't mean sort of be disrespectful here. He he is living in 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 uh, late Victorian slash early Edwardian England in yeah. London. I, I would think there's you know there's, there's there's certain scenes that a man just has to see at some point. He just finds a dead body. Come yeah. on, Horace. You're better than this. Yeah, come, come on, mate. And, and also, you're a journalist. You should be absolutely running at this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's quite incredible. John, John, I haven't asked you. Do, do you like the Six Napoleons? I adore it. Good. Good. Yeah, it's Good. one of my favourites. Always always, uh, always has been. Also, I think, I, I was trying to think, you know, we have Conan Doyle kind of reuses story ideas. Yeah, I'm coming to this. I'm trying to what the closest would be, and it's probably um, the blue carbuncle. Yeah, that's, that's like exactly. Man, man hides um, jewel in an unusual place. Yeah, and even that's in Brixton, isn't it? So it's got the Kennington South London link again. So, uh, but I, I think this is the one of the, possibly the only occasion where he does re- re- rewrites a story and it's better than the original. And I love, I absolutely love the blue carbuncle. Just for the same reasons, just because it's got a nice opening, it's nice at the end. It's nice. It's a nice Christmas story. It's very soft. Um, he helps the man at the end, and all's well, which is sort of happens here as well. Um, whereas red, the rewrites of Red Headed League, I like Stockbrokers Clark. I think that's very good, but it's not the Red Headed League. And the three Garadebs, come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's my review of the three Garadebs. If anyone wants me to write a long review, now that I'm a reviewer. Um, and three go, come on, mate. You've done that one. You've done it twice. Yeah, I think that's as close as you can get to the to the blue carbuncle. Yeah, I think that's as close as you're going to be. Um, okay, well, that's pretty much the six Napoleons. Um, it's, uh, I think it's one of the few ones where every single guest has agreed on everything. It's just an absolute <laughs> brilliant one. Because what normally happens, deal is John and I will find something to pick in the plot and have a go at it for half an hour, and then say at the end, yeah, but we love it. We no. love it. We we love Sir Arthur. Well, what- my one, my one note, as I said at the top, is I, do, I just don't think we need the dead body. Uh, I just don't think we need the dead body. I think I genuinely, I'm not least, I mean, Horace Harker doesn't need the dead body, but I just don't think we need the dead you body. You think you've had a bad day? Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and, and as I say, I'd love to know sort of whether or not there was a feeling that you, by this point as well, the notion of what does or doesn't grab attention in a periodical. You know, for all we know, someone might have said that they weren't sure about the redheaded league because there wasn't a murder. You know, it might well genuinely be some some something that he's heard or read or a letter in or something like that and he's thought about. But I just that's my and I don't think I my one sort of note on that is I don't think that anyone needs it even as the MacGuffin. I don't think it needs to be Holmes is already engaged. He does not need to be more yeah. engaged. Um, yeah, because so, normally, normally he'd laugh at it, wouldn't he, and then just say, "Yeah, but that's nothing. It's probably this." And then, but once a murder gets involved, then he's got to, he's, you know, he's 
he's got to go and put his hat on and leave the house. Yeah. Whereas I think I think on this one he feels like he's on on the the sense of leaving the house. So I think that's you know I, I, that is my one sort of note. But even that I'm I'm fine with the way in which they they pull the thing together. I'm fine with it. It's just that and again I think again if it had been a longer form story, then the idea of the dead body would have maybe been one where you go, yep, you need that because you need that to be you know you need to do a backstory. We need to investigate who the dead body is. We need to get you know all the hits. Whereas yeah. I think it, I th- I think it would still turn itself over. That is my one. And it's not really, as I say, it's not really even a negative. It's just my one sort of hmm with this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely. Uh, sorry, John, I asked this. You, I asked for this question every single time we do a show. Did this make Sir Arthur's list? Either of them? John's not got to go and look that up. I I will have a look now. Bear with me. Because like, every time we've done this, I've, I've it didn't he leave out the solitary cyclist or something? And I was just stunned and couldn't speak for two minutes <laughs> when he let some 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 all right story through. And I think my thing with with these stories, Neil, is there's a lot of them which are par stories, and I feel sad saying that really because they're brilliant, but they're just not as good as the Dancing Men and Napoleons. And yeah, and I really like Black Peter, for example. And I don't think I think Black Peter didn't make the list at all, which I was a bit surprised at. Yeah, very much so. How you getting on, John? I really should have this list on standby, shouldn't I? I do ask you every show. I, yeah. I also, also, I'm fairly sure that you've got like a Google calculator of how much a pound was worth in 18 something or other. I think I asked you that most weeks as well. Save for that. Um... This is very tense, readers. It is, it is, it is. It's like, uh, right, okay, so. I have the list of the 12 best. It's top three for me. It's not on the 12. That's really? And there's going, to be a, there's going to be a story there that I'm going to raise my eyebrows at and sigh. But Yeah, it, it's not on the 12. Let's see if I find the 20. Um, Whose list is this? This is his. Conan Doyle. Conan Doyle's list. He, he wrote 10, he wrote, he wrote 12 in it. And, the, the one with the 20 on it, he had to put some quite tough ones in because he was still trying to sell them at the time. Ah, but the 12's legit, is it? It's his, be- his favourite 12. The 12's 12. is, I think, I think it's sort of early 1900s, he sort of said, right, these, these are the big ones. And but Special Man's number one, so you know. It's 19, not 20 on the other list, and okay. it is... Um, it's not on either list. Wow. And what's number it 19? It's top 19. What's the nineteenth one? Is it better than the the nineteenth story? The nineteenth, the uh, number nineteen on the list is uh, the Naval Treaty. Which okay, all right, all right. He's won, he's won this war. Yes, he's, won, he's, he's beaten you on that round. I mean, we could ask about eighteen and seventeen, but I think he's. Yeah. I like the Naval Treaty, so I think he's. Uh, yeah, he's had us off there. I think a bit, Carl. Unfortunately, yeah, very long, very long big Arthur. There. Yeah. Well, well, all right. You can you can have this one, Doyle. <laughs> you, you can have that. I mean, um, I, I, I could point out the ones I think you'd have issues with. Uh, go on. Number 11, uh, The Musgrave Ritual. Yeah, it's clever. Number 12, Rygate Squires. That's, am- that's amazing. That, that's, that's got ahead of Napoleons. <laughs> Again, I like it, but, you know. I'm not, I'm not at all happy with that. <laughs> He's not well. Holmes isn't well in the Rygate Squire. He gets a pass. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, the later the has to say he's he's got he's got to put some some slightly shaky stories in the end just because like he's still selling the things off. But uh, to not have the six Napoleon in his best nineteen, um, I, I, you could easily say maybe it's the twentieth best thing you ever wrote, but it's, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it, it's just not. Um, all right, I'm slightly disappointed with Sir Arthur at the end of that, but um, I'm going to ask you Neil yeah. just just before we go. Um, Obviously, we mentioned. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about that, like people can remember a podcast we did four years ago. Um, Native, the yeah. film that you wrote, and um, with uh, with Rupert in it from uh, the TV series Rupert Grace. Uh, and um, anything else at the moment? I don't know where you get the time, frankly. To, no, and, no. And, I, at, the, well, at the minute, I'm not even writing enough about football, so I, you know, it's 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 difficult. It's tricky at the moment. I've got a couple of ideas. I'm kicking around the stuff I'd like to explore and do a little bit on, and. Um, you know, I, I've I've got scraps of of novels. People would be astonished by the bleakness of. Um, but 
I'm yeah, I'm I'm sort of I, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a, there's one football book I want to write um, and feel as though I'm well placed to write, um, but I'm quite. Other than that, at the minute, there's nothing nothing sort of nailed on. Um, as I say, it's not it, it's not through due to lack of lack of ideas. It's just mostly through to lack of time. Yeah, because again, on the first show, I think we calculated that you may have done something like two thousand podcasts. Yeah, and, that, but, um, and, and now well in excess. Ago. Yeah, now well in excess of that, and also, um, you know, I've I am sort of quite casually writing uh, at the minute about one thousand five hundred words a week. Um, like you know, I'm not I'm not averse to Liverpool getting knocked out of the third round of the FA Cup, Carl. Um, you know, if, 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 I would I, w- I wouldn't view it as I wouldn't view it as a, as a tragedy that there's no coming back from. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd very much be able to see a bright side quite quickly, even though I'm sure that as and when the football match starts, I'll be, you know, obviously desperate to watch them win, as I always am. But it would not be the worst thing in the world if they if they did not play quite as many games of football yeah. all the time. Like, I'm I'm with the Liverpool manager on, we need to give more people more rest. Um, what the Liverpool manager doesn't know is I include me. <laughs> just, just so I can explain a few things about this. Um, so, at the end of every game, so and we're recording this... Um, on the 7th of December. So Liverpool played in she- against Sheffield United last night. Neil would have written a piece about the match maybe an hour after kick because obviously there's a podcast before that as well. Yeah, I did the podcast and then and then and write. Then you write. So you're writing in cars. No, well, last uh, night was in the pub in Sheffield. Uh, so other people were, were having nice chats and I was just sort of sitting there trying to block them out and get the words written. Uh, and then the same thing will happen on Saturday. Um, and the same thing happened on the previous Sunday. So there'll be three of these pieces that each about sort of 800 to 1,000 words. Uh, some of them are good, some of them aren't, some of them are risky. Um, some of them are, you know, I, I don't do any uh, sort of prep on them. I never sort of have it, uh, any aspect of it really these days. Like I'm, 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 not, I'm not above uh, if Liverpool are winning a game 3-0, starting on 70, don't get me wrong. But I'm, you know, mostly trying to, uh, keep myself together and imagine doing the next thing, which is the the audio shows. So, but the problem with that is I think it's sort of slightly ruined the writing a little bit for me. In that I actually so like you know sometimes back when I used to do quite sort of regular emails and I'm not averse to doing them. I'd do them like I'd get on the train and I'd have the idea of right, you're going to finish this by the by the time you get off at Moorfield, so you've got 14 minutes, and that's. Not necessarily a bad skill to to have, but the flip side of it is there'd be times where I wish I could look like make myself luxuriate in it more. It doesn't have to be that everything that I write has to has to have a deadline, and by the way, that deadline's in fourteen minutes. Yeah, I, I, I was um, I, again. I apologise. People were thinking, "What this is Sherlock, isn't it?" Um, I got I've got a little real at home game, so I've got a long, long drive back after a game, and um, from from I live in Norwich, so I'm from Liverpool to Norwich. Which is normally about five hours, but I like to get the opening paragraph for next for the next day. Not not like Neil, not not in half an hour for the next day, because I, I write the Monday copy and we're not on Sundays at home these days. Um, I like to get the opening paragraph done by the time I've got to the car in my head, and yeah. once I've got the opening paragraph, I'm sort of okay. I can and I, if I know I can link it to two or three things, then I'm okay. But um, I, I mean, obviously, I've seen you in a pub, sort of like you know. Hunched into a phone, yeah, and, and just thinking, right, how do I get all that out in half an hour, and make it lucid? Because people are going to be reading this a long time afterwards, and that's such a difficult skill to have. Like, you've got to make it lucid. That's brilliant. Um, Neil, thanks so much for coming on. We have booked you, in last, we've booked you in again. You're doing the very last, the last ever show. Oh, so when, when I talk, so you're going to be in retired Cullerman. Yeah. Um, although I think last one's actually Shoshka Mole Place, but it, it fits with the title of the show, so I'm happy with that. Um, it's uh yeah, I feel bad saying you've done two thousand podcasts when welcome to show thirty one, four years later, <laughs> four years and a month. Uh we will try and get more shows out. We're actually booked up, um, John and I now on I think there's two two spaces left. Um um we were gonna have a match, I'll tell you this, we were gonna have Nick Nick Utech in to do the Bruce Partington plans, which is my favourite Sherlock story by an absolute mile. Um of course um, Nick passed away last year. He he did um uh, the glorious Scott with us. Um, so I've got a guest to do that as well. Well, I'll tell you about more uh, when we get nearer to the time. But in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. We Fair really, pleasure. really appreciate you listening to the show. We, we appreciate you, Neil, for coming on the show and every other guest that comes on. And um, Sir Arthur's in a rich vein of form. Let's enjoy it until it's, it starts getting <laughs> into the old houses with tunnels in them. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I, start, I, I tend to lose interest then. And, and the sad thing of this, about this, Neil, is we've got to do Casebook at some point, which has Bruce Partington in it. Yeah. It's also got, it's got a fair bit of dross too. But Neil, thank you so much for going on to the show. Pleasure. What an outro that is. It's got a fair bit of dross on it. Neil, thanks for coming <laughs> on to the show. But it's, thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Reese. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.